Yeah. And there's so much of that in this season, so much of that truth that we observe. Uh, We have been in a series that I call Building Back Boulder. We're in the book of Ezra Nehemiah. It's really one book, and I've been telling you that for weeks. And a few people have said, uh, hey, Pastor Jeff, are we we ever going to be out of Nehemiah? (laughs) Are we just going to be here forever? So I'm going to announce to you uh, this weekend uh, that this is the end of our study in Ezra Nehemiah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, how about, oh, but you'll, you'll see that we're wrapping a few things up here. We, uh, in these weeks, have been studying the rebuilding of Jerusalem in the 6th and 5th centuries B.C. And you might have asked yourself, so what's the big deal, Pastor Jeff? Why don't you say that with me? So what's the big deal, Pastor Jeff? I'm going to answer that today. I mean, you might have thought this is an ancient city that got destroyed and rebuilt. Aren't there a whole lot of those? And there was a temple destroyed and it was rebuilt. Aren't there a lot of those? And there are walls and gates. Don't we know? I mean, couldn't we go almost anywhere in the ancient world and see this story happening? Uh, And and you might say, so so what's the point? I'd like to see a little Jesus. Yeah. And uh, the truth is, uh, this story could have been any city in a hundred different ancient places. But it was not. This was the city of David. And that makes all the difference in the world. David found in this city over 3,000 years ago, uh, in 1,000 BC. He purchased the land on which the temple would sit. I wish he had gotten a, a deed and a clear title because they argue about it to this day. But he bought the land. And his son Solomon built this grand temple uh, to God. Uh, And and it was called the city of the great king. Uh, It was called the city of Zion. It's an amazing, amazing place. This magnificent city and this grand temple of Solomon was destroyed in 586 BC. I've been telling you, if you memorize that, you may win on Jeopardy someday. Just memorize that date. It's a really important date. Uh, Amazing temple destroyed by the Babylonians. The temple was rebuilt starting in 538 BC by Zerubbabel. And even in those those renderings, you can see it was a whole, it just didn't live up to the original. I mean, the scripture says that when they looked at it, once once the the second temple was built, a lot of people just started crying. They said, it's just not, it's not the same. Just not what it used to be. And they were kind of caught in the past there. But it was what God wanted. And they were reestablishing the worship of God. And all of that points forward. And we're going to begin to see that. The founding of Judaism uh, dates to this time. When Ezra brought the scrolls uh, from Babylon. And Nehemiah then uh, returned to rebuild the walls and the gates. That's what we've been studying. This is the city where everything finally comes together. 500 years later. And that's what we just were singing about and waving palms about this amazing day. We see it all coming together in this week that we call holy. Now, what is left in Nehemiah? Uh, they had to get the people to move into the city. They, they struggled to do that. We're gonna, I'm going to read a scripture about that. They, they couldn't get them to move. I don't know if you remember, but I remember decades, several decades ago when I was sitting in, in my Rotary Club and, and someone came and they were, they were talking about a new city that was going to be out west of I-95, the pasture lands. He said it's going to be called V, v or, uh, or something like that. 
And Lot said, oh yeah, okay, yeah, we'll see. Well, now you see. What if you built a city, though, and no one came? They had to work on this a little bit. A lot of people have come to Vieira. Uh, but what if, what if they didn't come? And we're going to see that a little bit today. There was a dedication of these walls and gates. I'm going to read a little bit about that. There was a few more reforms, but we're pretty much done with the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. I want to read for us two passages of Scripture in Nehemiah, and then we're going to flash forward to the Gospel of Luke. So hang on to your seats. We're going to do a little time travel. So I'm in Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. You'll find it on page 406 in the editions of the Bible that are out there. If you do not own a Bible, grab one of those Bibles and write your name in it. Take it home with you so you will own a Bible. You need to have a Bible. Nehemiah chapter 11, uh, beginning verse 1. Let's give our whole attention to the word of God. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem... And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And then in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites. Also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers have built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now, hold on to your seats. We fast forward 500 years. That's a picture of warp speed in the Bible, okay? We're going to. Warp speed, 500 years, same place, same city. And a king was coming into Jerusalem, the city of David. Let's hear Luke chapter 19, beginning verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks along the road. And as he was drawing near, already 
on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's stand and let's pray. God, we thank you for for your word, and we thank you for a plan so much bigger than anything we could imagine, anything that we could, could design. Oh, God, we thank you, and we pray that we might understand how we fit, how these moments, these specific parts of your plan impact us. In Jesus' name, amen. And be seated. Everything, everything, that we have studied points to this day and to this week. God had pinpointed a coming moment, this arrival moment uh, for the Feast of Pesach, it's called. Say that with me, Feast of Pesach, which is the way you say Passover. It means to be skipped over or skipped by. Here in the city of David, everything's been prepared for hundreds of years and there have been Passover lambs that were sacrificed in this week year after year, decade after decade. And now there's going to be one final and complete sacrifice. No more need for sacrifices. It's going to happen this week. We know that because we know Hebrews chapter 10. They just didn't know that. They knew something was happening, but they did not know yet. Prophecy had pointed to this triumphal entry since the time of Jacob in the book of Genesis, all the way back in the book of Genesis, When Jacob was blessing the 12 sons, you remember Jacob and sons and all of those sons, and they are the tribes of Judah, or the tribes of Jacob. And Judah was one of those. And when he came to Judah, he said this in in Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, the, the rule, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people's. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. Starts to sound familiar, doesn't it? He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Talking about the coming of this great king. Judah was the last of the remaining tribes Uh, that had been preserved during the exile. You remember that they were the only ones, they were preserved over in Babylon, and then 50 years later, they they begin to come back to reestablish Jerusalem. 
So it was the long prophesied king of kings that would arise out of Judah. We say the lion of Judah, the anointed one of God, the Messiah. And that's what we're seeing. Now, many expected that this Messiah would come as a conquering hero to eradicate the occupation and the oppression of Rome. Uh, Many thought, this is going to be this guy coming out of the sky on a white horse. But God had a different plan. And it probably looked strange. (laughs) I mean, it looked really strange. You're saying, this is a Messiah? He's not on the right kind of animal. This is the Messiah. He's not dressed the way we were expecting. And that's really a lot of the... struggle that we see during this week is that the people are are saying, I mean, how quickly do they turn from the Hosannas to crucify him, crucify him? It's because he's not the Messiah that they had hoped for and anticipated. This is the plan of God, though. All the way back in Isaiah 59, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. That word for redeemer means a kinsman redeemer, someone related to you who comes to buy you back. You remember how we talked about if you got into too much debt, uh, you could get foreclosed on and you had to give a member of your family into indentured servitude just for seven years? I mean, if you know that could be a long time. Yeah. To have your, your child gone from you. Can you imagine when your kinsman redeemer, your relative comes to say, I've come for you. Think about how that would feel. Dad has come for you. Mom has come for you. Brother, sister has come for you uh, to redeem you and and to buy you back, to ransom you back. That's what this moment is about. The prophet Zechariah described this scene that we call Palm Sunday. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous. And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not a white horse coming out of the sky with armor. Not a general, but a prince of peace. A lot had changed from the time that we were studying, the rebuilding that had been going on. City of David in the time of Nehemiah, when we left that, before we moved at warp speed just a few moments ago, uh, it, it looked a lot different. City of David was built on a single narrow hill. We've been looking at that picture some. It just, it wasn't real big and there wasn't a whole lot going on around it. It had been abandoned for a very long time. And now the city of David, 500 years later in 33 AD, the city of Jerusalem looks a lot different. It's expanded to a bustling urban center. Some of the pictures that I'm going to show you are actually pictures of the model of Jerusalem. If you ever go to Israel, you have to see the model of Jerusalem. It's easily as big as this whole room and maybe a little bit larger to to show you what it looked like, what the city looked like. It's amazing. King Herod had had expanded the Temple Mount. He had made it bigger. Uh, He said, this has got to be larger, and he had, had refurbished things a lot. He was trying to buy favor with the, the Jews and also appease the, the Romans. And so there was things that were a lot, a lot different. He had expanded the temple, re- rejuvenated the temple. And this is what Jesus saw on Palm Sunday as he looked down from the Mount of Olives. Now, that's not exactly it. There's a little fence there because that's a- around the model. But that's what he would have been looking at as he came down the Palm Sunday road down from the Mount of Olives. 
The walls built by Nehemiah were still there. We know that from archaeological excavation. Those walls that were built 500 years earlier were still there, still in place when Jesus arrived. You know, sometimes, have you ever said, if these walls could only talk? I mean, I've been in some historic places and and thought, you know, this is where the the, uh, Declaration of Independence was signed. If these walls could only talk... And I thought about that this week. If these walls and all that they had seen in those 500 years, if they could only talk, what an amazing thing. And the king of kings was, in fact, entering his city of David as a prince of peace. Well, this is the triumphal entry that we were singing about, that we read about, that we talk about. And the truth is that the same rocks that were set into the walls, that were carried up and put into place by Nehemiah and and his workers, Uh, sometimes when they had to have swords in their hands and and arrows at their sides. Uh, These same walls were looking back at Jesus as he crested the top of of that hill. I mean, there's not any doubt about that. Now, I I find myself wondering, because, you know, I'm sort of a peculiar pastor. (laughs) I find myself wondering what they might have said. Walls don't talk, right? Hope not, yeah. But I wonder what they might have said. Because they might have said something like, we've been waiting for you. 500 years we've been waiting for you. We're so excited that you're finally here because this is what we were built for. Welcoming you on this day. Welcoming you to this week. May the people start rejoicing in the same way that they did when the dedication of us Uh, of these stones, of this wall, took place. May there be rejoicing. You you remember, great praise rung out. We read about it. When Nehemiah and Ezra dedicated the walls, there was this great praising. They celebrated with gladness and thanksgiving and singing and cymbals and harps and lyres. That's a praise band. Come on. Yeah, amen. And and I noticed some really cool things. It says, and the sons of the singers. That means they had the children's choir too. Yeah, is it exactly the same at the dedication? And I thought it was amazing as well that they had villages that were specifically for the praise team all around, that they wanted to be close. We've got to be close if we're going to be part of the worship. That was all, all in those readings. So great praise had rung out when Nehemiah and Ezra dedicated. Now this was the time once again for voices to be lifted up. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then Matthew records, Hosanna to the son of David. That's the big deal. Say that with me. Hosanna to the son of David. And all history is pointing to this single moment. All all history since points back to this week and all that happens. If you go to Israel today, uh, you will likely walk the Palm Sunday road. And uh, this is what it looks like. There we go. Uh, That's what the Palm Sunday road looks like today. This is where they shouted Hosanna. And uh, this is where all this excitement was going on. And uh, if you look on down the road, you can see there's a Muslim shrine that is there. That's where the temple was. Now, sometimes people, they'll ask me, they'll say, "We're, we're here in Jerusalem. Where's the temple? And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I guess you didn't understand. The temple's not there. The temple hasn't been there since 70 AD. It isn't. I've read about it. I thought, the tem- I thought I would get to see the temple. No, you don't get to see the temple. What's that? That's a Muslim shrine that was put on the spot of the temple. 
really very much to keep it from being rebuilt. Keep the temple from being rebuilt. But that's the Muslim shrine that is there, and you'll see it. Otherwise, though, the mount itself is very, very similar. And and on this day, uh, 2,000 years ago, there was a whole lot of Hosanna going on. I loved it that they made comment. There's so many great Hosanna songs. It's a really, really good word, Hosanna in the highest. But not everyone was happy with the Hosannas. (laughs) Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, teacher, <laughs> rebuke your disciples. You got to shut this down. Now, they may have just been threatened uh, because they were losing religious control, but they were also worried that Rome was going to get upset. They had this deal with Rome. We keep Rome happy and, and they'll keep us happy. And we, we have a kind of, kind of exchange going on there. Talk of a Messiah, no, that's not, not going to go over. And especially if he's a descendant of the son of David, yeah, then that, that's going to be a bad thing. So tell your people to be quiet. Shut them up right away. And Jesus gives this amazing, timeless answer. It's so powerful. He says, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. Yeah. We, we often say that because I, I thought, huh? I don't think I want a rock singing in my place, do you? I mean, when we sing, we really need to sing. And we often make that application. We can't be certain what uh, stones uh, Jesus was talking about. Many think that it's a, a reference to all of creation, that all of creation is longing for redemption, and they will sing out all, all of everything that God has made. And that certainly is true. I've often thought, well, it's these rocks that are on the ground. If you go to Israel, there's rocks everywhere. And you can just see these little rocks, you know, singing, you know. But it occurred to me this week as I was just meditating on this, on this scripture, perhaps Jesus was talking about the very stones that were in the walls facing him that had been dedicated with praise 500 years earlier. I don't know that to be true. But he said, if the people are silent, these very stones will cry out. And I wonder if they would have begun to sing. Scripture says that Jesus wept over the city. When he drew near and and saw the city, he wept over it saying, "Uh, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. And now, but now, they are hidden from your eyes. You can't see what will make real peace. It's coming. You can't see it. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation that I was coming. There's a small chapel uh, that we always visit. Actually, that window up in the upper left-hand corner is the window out of this small chapel. It's called the Teardrop Church. Dominus Flevit, uh, it means the Lord wept. And, uh, and it's on the Mount of Olives about halfway down. Jesus was actually prophesying at this time. You can go on to the next one. There we go. That's the teardrop. It's shaped like a teardrop. Jesus was actually prophesying the second destruction. Jer- Jerusalem's only been destroyed twice. Um, it's been uh, sieged 44 times. It's been taken over 20 times. It's only been destroyed twice. 
and the second time was coming, 70 AD. Jesus wept because they didn't recognize the things that would make for peace. They didn't get it. And they didn't realize that a battle with Rome wasn't going to give them peace. So this is Holy Week. This is the beginning of this amazing week. And many times, I, I have to confess, we, we sort of miss it. You know, if you come on Christmas Eve and you come on Palm Sunday and come on Easter, you're going to miss, you know how much you'll miss? Pastor Ann was teaching on this, uh, and she, she had done a calculation on it. If you miss Holy Week, you miss one-third of the Gospels. That's a lot. One-third of the four Gospels are dedicated to this one week. It's easy to rush past. And, and so if you're here on Palm Sunday, and then you show up on Easter, and you look around and say, did I miss anything? Laugh a little bit. Come on. You missed a lot because there's so much that happens. We often race, uh, you know, from Palm Sunday to Easter and fail to engage. We don't want to do that. This is the week when Jesus literally walked straight into the darkness to bring us light, to bring us the light of life. And we don't want to miss that. This week, we're going to have a gathering and We say, well, it's a service. Of course, it's a service, but it's a gathering on Good Friday. Don't miss it. Not just because a lot of effort went into it, but it's a powerful moment in our faith to think about what he did on that day, how much he gave, how much he has done for us. We will then gather to celebrate resurrection a week from today. Uh, On Easter weekend, we're going to do something different. We're going to be a part of a premiere of a short film entitled Take Up Your Cross. Uh, it was developed by our daughter and son-in-law and a team of 100 who traveled to Texas and they filmed on the uh, studios that are used for The Chosen. And they filmed the story of Simon of Cyrene and his family as they travel in and they encounter the cross and then they finally get there and then experience all the way through to resurrection. You don't want to miss it. It'll be a great day to invite someone to come and share in your church. I want to show you a little, just a one-minute trailer, they call it. It's just going to give you some images to understand what this um, a premiere of this. It's a short film. It's just very short, 10, 12 minutes long. It'll be part of what we do next weekend in our services. Let's watch this. Every year. I'm doing everything I can. And in three days, all of this will be finished. Who do you think the cross is for? Criminals, Alexander. Keep your head down.
hope you'll be here. I'm excited for the way that God uses this in our midst and in our community. I hope you'll invite someone to come as well. I'd like for us to pray and uh, prepare our hearts uh, for the week ahead. Father, I thank you for the amazing plan that's bigger than anything that we could imagine. I thank you that long ago you had planned for a day when Hosanna would be on the lips of many and a week in which that would change and great sacrifice would take place. And I also thank you for that plan of victory over sin and death, the victory of resurrection. God, we thank you. We pray that as we come together around the elements of the Lord's Supper that we might remember powerfully this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you have the elements. If you do not, if you would raise your hand, we have ushers ready to bring you. If you do not have the communion kit over here on this side, anybody else? And in the back, and in the back, and on this aisle, just keep your hand up, we'll wait. Apostle Paul said, don't, don't race ahead and, uh, and don't, don't go ahead. Just wait until everybody has what they need. So over on this aisle, on the far side. And on this aisle, I think. Just keep your hand up so he can find you. Over on the far aisle. during Passion Week that Jesus wanted to celebrate Passover with his own disciples. He arranged a room in the upper room. He told them to go and follow a man who was carrying a water jar. Tell him to get prepared so that his friends could gather together there. And as they celebrated this special Passover meal with all the different pieces and parts of the meal symbolizing the past and the rescue of God. Jesus took the bread that it had meaning. It was unleavened bread. For when they left Egypt, they left in haste with the dough carried on their backs in baskets. No time for the yeast to have it rise. And that's why to this day, unleavened bread is used. It was that night that he took the bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for the great sacrifice of all eternity that we remember, that we take hold of. 
May we be found faithful as we walk forward in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.